After weeks of tense speculation, it was confirmed late last month that the filming of The Hobbit would take place in New Zealand. It'll cost the taxpayer at least an extra $20 million, taking the total government subsidy to about $100 million. In a controversial move, changes to the labour laws were also made. So were The Hobbit films a prize worth fighting for? In this Radio New Zealand Insight programme, Sue Ingram investigates. About halfway between Hamilton and Tauranga lies the community of Matamata. And if you've heard of the rural town of 6,000, it's less likely because of its reputation for horse breeding than its association with Lord of the Rings. Hundreds of thousands of tourists now visit Matamata, and these bus tours carry people across private farmland to see the set of Hobbiton Village, tucked into a green hillside and made famous by Peter Jackson's filming of the movies. The whole trilogy has put Matamata on the map. We are now world famous. Sue Whiting is the manager of the local public relations association. Before the films were made, we were looking at about 50,000 people coming through the door of our information centre. We peaked in 2004 at about 360,000, and we're now down to a constant 200,000 people a year coming to town. The legacy now looks likely to continue for even longer, with the confirmation that the two Hobbit movies will be filmed in New Zealand. I'm pleased to announce an agreement has been reached uh, between New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand government and Warner Brothers that will enable the two Hobbit movies to be directed by Sir Peter Jackson to be made in New Zealand. But nailing the deal came at a cost. The government agreed to an urgent change to labour laws and also promised additional financial incentives. An extra $20 million in tax breaks and around $13.5 million to help with the movie's marketing. That takes the total government subsidy to about $100 million. In announcing the agreement, the Prime Minister emphasised the positives. Making the two movies here will not only safeguard work for thousands of New Zealanders, but will also allow us to follow the success of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and once again promoting New Zealand on the world stage. But are the economic benefits of attracting big-budget films here enough to offset the public money spent to entice them? In the lands of Middle-earth, legend tells of the Dark Lord Sauron and the ring that would give him the power to enslave the world. Peter Jackson's adaptation of The Lord of the Rings won 17 Oscars and was a huge financial success. Filmed and produced in New Zealand, many people here describe it as a seminal moment for the country. But doing some hard number crunching on its impact is complicated. The woman that was the production accountant, she said Jackson ran the tightest ship she ever saw. John Yeebsley from the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research was involved in trying to assess the effects of Lord of the Rings on selected areas of the economy and the domestic film industry. The scoping report, ordered by the Film Commission, was published in 2002 at a time when the trilogy was still being rolled out. They felt that this was a, a large event in the life of New Zealand's film production industry and that they thought it might well be a sea change. And so they asked us to have a look and see what form that change would take and, if possible, put some numbers around that, which 
I have to say we, we struggled to do partly because it was work in progress and partly because many of the figures that you really wanted to access uh, were hard to find and hard to get at. But it was quite a surprising event when we went into it because we thought that establishing infrastructure like the studios and uh, computer backup facilities and the other hard things that were purchased and put in place here, the kind of capital investment side, that you could see and touch was going to be the lasting effects. But it turned out that those were either less important in terms of the future of the industry or were more transient, such as the IT stuff. Whereas the software, if you like, of, of movie making, the skills and the ability of the individual's concern, those things turned out to be more definite and more lasting as far as we thought. The report estimated that $350 million was spent by the production company in New Zealand. Peak employment reached 1,500 people per week and 5,000 vendors were used. However, John Yeepsley says these were the transitional effects and much more important was the building of capacity. There were a number of different ways in which that showed up. I mean, one was that individuals' competence increased, so classic example of that was the catering. When the movie makers started doing their shooting around the country, they were not very happy at all with the standard of catering and they were worried that they weren't going to be able to keep the crews and cast happy. But gradually the quality of it increased and there was a lot of effort put into that and by the end of the movies the kind of catering that they were able to get locally was world class. Then there was a second effect which you might call a sort of reputation effect which was that people taking part in the movies made networks or had pieces of work done that they could trade on for their futures. And one area where that showed up was in the stunts, where people were hired locally to come in and carry out fight scenes or do falls or take part in more dangerous material. And by the end of the films, a number of those stunt people had contacts and experience that enabled them to go on working internationally in the film industry. The deputy CEO of the Film Commission, Miladin Ivancic, says Lord of the Rings changed everything. The most important thing that came out of Lord of the Rings, other than that the films themselves were made here, is that it proved to the world that it was possible to make films of that scale in New Zealand and make really high-quality films. And I think before Lord of the Rings, probably no one thought that was possible. And after Lord of the Rings, of course, we've become a, a regular destination for larger budget Hollywood scale films. The trilogy was of course filmed around the country but it's here in the Wellington suburb of Miramar where the heart of Peter Jackson's empire lies and where several hundred people are now employed in the film industry. Council figures reveal that last year the sector generated about $440 million for the city. The executive strategist for the Wellington City Council, Alan Pragnell, says Weta recently announced that for the first time, half of its workforce is local. Up to 75% of its workforce was talent that we were attracting because of the world-class facilities we have in Wellington. But we're now starting to build the talent locally as well, and you can see that in the Weta story. Alan Pragnell believes there would be a huge impact if Sir Peter chose to work overseas. Hamish Hill from Statistics New Zealand says the feature film industry in total is worth $700 million, with around 900 businesses associated with it.
For feature filmmakers, about two-thirds of that activity in the last year was undertaken in the Wellington region. That was a 70% increase from the year before and uh, is a little bit of a different picture than what it was in previous years where more revenue was generated in Auckland. Now that's also a little bit different than the picture for the overall screen production industry. In that case, much more of the revenue is attributable to Auckland and that's because more TV work is done up there. Hamish Hill says the film industry is much more volatile than other sectors that they measure. John Yebsley from the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research says it would have been useful for further work to have been commissioned to test the conclusions of the Lord of the Rings scoping report, but that hasn't happened. The lumpiness of the bigger films associated with Peter Jackson means that if you look back over the last eight years or so, what you see is some years have been a bit more of a feast and others have been a bit more of a famine. I think that's more to do with small numbers and lumpiness than it is to do with you know, those figures which were speculative. But I think broadly speaking, we've been quite surprised at how accurate we were. What do you want? To know my enemy. Another attempt to measure the economic impact of making big-budget movies in New Zealand came with the filming of The Last Samurai. The New Zealander Vincent Ward was the movie's executive producer and much of it was shot in Taranaki in 2003. The report was carried out by Business and Economic Research Limited, or BIRL. Its chief economist, Ganesh Nana, says to begin with, an informed guess at the film's budget had to be made because the actual figures were kept secret. It came out to $170 million. We assessed the overall impact on GDP at that time of about $92 million. And so out of the, the, an overall budget might sound large, but you've got to take away things like the effects of imports and the effects of diversion and to get down to the, the nitty-gritty of, of how many jobs are actually being created as opposed to diverted, what sort of pay those jobs are getting, the profits that are being retained within New Zealand, and then apply the appropriate multiplier on top of that. $90 million doesn't sound big in the total scheme of things, but when we break it down to the impact on a localised region like um, where The Last Samurai was in, in, the, in the Taranaki, it is a relatively large number. 1,400 jobs were created for the shoot, and the flow-on or multiplier effects were estimated to be worth $195 million. So was the government grant to The Last Samurai of around $3.5 million worth it? Dr Nana. The numbers may sound good, but those are one-offs and snapshots. And if, if that's all we got out of it, then, to be honest, I'd be questioning the spend because there are lots of other industries and other activities that are standing in the queue for those sorts of dollars and more. The really big impact is, is in those intangibles, is in setting up an industry, giving it the capacity and getting some long-term sustainable benefits in terms of jobs, in terms of high-paying jobs, in terms of export revenue. And that's where, to be honest, the numbers haven't been done, the effort hasn't been put in place to actually find out what is the economic impact of a, in a long-term sense of a sustainable film industry here in New Zealand or any other sorts of industry. And, and that's unfortunate, but I think that's because we have here in New Zealand a very short-term time horizon and we do look at these economic impacts from a very short-term perspective. We spent so many million dollars this year, what's the impact back this year? And those numbers are easy to do, and so that's probably why we focus on them, but short-term in nature, and I do think in some senses it, it sells a short, 
but it also means we're not doing the really in-depth analysis that would enable us to compare the returns from industry A with industry B. The Lord of the Rings trilogy received a subsidy courtesy of a tax loophole. Its exact amount is unknown, but the OECD has put it at 300 to 400 million dollars. If that's true, then it almost eclipses the direct spend of $350 million by the production company. Little wonder that the loophole was closed down. But taxpayers still fund movie making, and there's no sign whatsoever that the government will change that. Since late 2003, films made in New Zealand are eligible for a financial incentive called the Large Budget Screen Production Grant. Funded by the taxpayer, it's administered by the Film Commission. It gives film production companies a 15% grant on the money they spend in New Zealand. Avatar, the world's highest grossing film, received nearly $45 million in subsidies from New Zealand taxpayers. King Kong, nearly $49 million. The total of grants that have been given is $230 million. So that means total production value is around about $1.7 billion. Mark Steele is the Deputy Secretary of the Industry and Regional Development Branch at the Ministry of Economic Development. An economic assessment of the grant found that its impact could have been anywhere between a net gain of $33 million to a net loss of $38 million. The 2005 evaluation, which occurred only two years after we started the grant, so it was pretty hard to tell really only two years in, was a very conservative approach, didn't look for all the spillover benefits, uh, and it could still identify significant benefits for the economy as a whole. And I think since then we've begun to see some of those broader spillover benefits. Some of the supercomputing facilities which Weta Digital has had to develop for post-production are now being used for purposes as varied as gene sequencing, yacht design, the financial services industry. Those are what I mean by spillover benefits. Is that anecdotal evidence or are you measuring those spillover benefits? They are anecdotes, but we are systematically gathering them up. Because, in fact, there are very few actual economic assessment reports on filmmaking in New Zealand. Yes, that's right. Part of the reason for that is because the support the government is providing is quite new. One of the things that we've learned in the Ministry of Economic Development is you do need some time to gain the history of activity that you need to robustly assess whether or not something is creating benefits for New Zealand. We've got another evaluation of the large budget screen production grant scheduled for 2012. That will give us nine years of experience. That's the kind of length of experience that you really need to draw strong conclusions about whether or not a particular government activity is adding value. A report from the Treasury also challenged the economic justification of the large budget screen production grant and said that the incentives to Avatar and King Kong had likely caused a net economic loss of $36 million. Mark Steele says there are great debates within the Ministry of Economic Development about which sectors should receive government dollars, but he says film has been chosen by successive administrations. It seems to offer a favourable combination of factors. It has sizeable employment and spending effects. It has uh, the benefit of strong international connections. It has the benefits uh, of promoting New Zealand as a brand and as a destination. And the technology and skills that are developed in film 
seem to apply readily to other important sectors like information technology and bioinformatics and design. So it has a combination of benefits that other sectors have some of those things but not all of those things. The glamour and feel-good factor associated with the film industry may also play a part. The chief economist at Burl, Ganesh Nana, says generating confidence and optimism can undoubtedly have an economic effect, but he wonders if the country is getting too carried away. We shouldn't overplay the feel-good factor, but I'm, I'm, I'm not in the camp that we can ignore them totally because they do have an impact. The importance is how do we build on that impact. So the mood and the optimism may be there for the filmmaking industry. How do we build on that? How do we capture that? And how do we ensure that that's reinvested in the industry in terms of developing it for the long term, developing capability, developing skills, developing technology, developing the networks overseas, the customer base, so that when the foreign financiers come back here in five years' time, they aren't forever looking for public monies. They are self-funded. New Zealand is not alone in offering financial incentives to film producers. Many people believe that overseas studios, always eyeing the bottom line, simply wouldn't come here without them. The Minister of Economic Development, Jerry Brownlee, says this country's incentives are modest compared to others. If we had lost this opportunity because it was perceived that we weren't a uh, jurisdiction in which you could get things done, I think the rest of that would have been rapidly in trouble. No one should for a minute imagine that what we have agreed with Warners compares with what they could have got in other jurisdictions. We are reliant here on the expertise of our industry and I think we had an obligation to back that industry. We do it with others, we do it with agriculture, do it with all other sectors of the New Zealand economy. This is not particularly unique. Part of the recent Hobbit agreement included a widening of the criteria for the large budget screen production grant, with the possibility of an additional rebate of up to seven and a half million US dollars per film, subject to the success of the movies. The details of this haven't been revealed yet. But speaking at a recent conference of the producers' union, SPADA, executive member Richard Fletcher said he believes it will include a deal relating to residuals, the spin-off products such as the sale of DVDs and games. He was speaking on a panel with the SPADA's CEO, Penelope Borland, and co-writer of The Hobbit, Philippa Boyens. And if my speculation's right, that they've extended the criteria so the large budget is payable on residuals... That's going to make it for future um, studio pitches that come into the country. It's, it's a greater incentive for them to, to offer residuals. Exactly. So yeah, potentially that's a real win-win for all parties involved because you know, it's slightly more attractive for the studios to come in and there's a greater prospect that actors may receive residuals on those studio films. subsidies of traditional art forms have become well established. Should big budget, potentially very profitable movies be included in the definition of art? Do they provide a social good as well as potential economic benefit? In the US, research by Richard Florida has found that places which attract creative people end up with a positive economic cycle. But Lisa Marriott, who's a senior lecturer at the University of Canterbury, cannot find a similar relationship here and says there seems to be no link between how much city councils spend on art and culture and their economic growth. 
looking at annual reports of the 16 city councils in New Zealand, what I found is actually of, of those 16, only one of those city councils even mentions economic benefits in the reasons why this funding is given to arts and cultural activities. And instead, most of the city councils you know, tend to just say that they recognise that cultural well-being is an important aspect of community well-being, or they want to foster a sense of identity and community, or they want to make their particular city an attractive and exciting place to live and so on. So it's all very much about the intangible benefits that they seem to expect from the investment in these cultural activities. And as I say, apart from one city council, which was Hamilton, there was no mention whatsoever of any particular expectation of economic benefit from this investment. Wellington City Council says the film industry pumps half a billion dollars of revenue per year into the local economy, but it's considered part of its economic strategy, not its arts. The council's executive strategist, Alan Pragnell, says there has also been a positive tourism spin-off. We're over a billion dollars of GDP from tourism now. We've got just under two million commercial guest nights from the last ten years. So tourism, without a doubt, has been a success story, but I don't think people come just because of the Lord of the Rings. There's any number of things. Some 5% of tourists said that the Lord of the Rings played some part in their decision to visit Wellington. Now we understand over a thousand people auditioned. They weren't just Kiwis, but from all over the world. In Matamata, where hundreds of thousands of tourists now turn up, publicity manager Sue Whiting says the Lord of the Rings impact has been astonishing. They had just made a movie, but all of a sudden these people wanted to go and visit the set. We never realised that this would come with it. We never realised that a small town like Matamata could change the nature of its tourism, if we had any before then, to something like movie tourism. It's been fascinating. Has the filming of the trilogy increased the number of tourists coming to New Zealand or merely given visitors different opportunities once they're here? In 2004, in the midst of Lord of the Rings fervour, 5,000 international tourists were asked what part the films had played in their decision to visit the country. 6% said it was one of the reasons they decided to come. Just 1%, the equivalent of about 11,000 people, said it was the main reason to visit. Liz McPherson, the Deputy Secretary of the Tourism Events and Consumer Affairs Branch at the Ministry of Economic Development, says people decide to holiday in a country for a variety of reasons and it's hard to know just what provides the tipping point that turns intention to ticket purchase. The Lord of the Rings is one of a variety of different reasons why people choose to come and goes along with a whole variety of other things. We do know that there was a measurable increase in tourism around 27% since the release of the Lord of the Rings film, but um, a lot of that comes down to cheaper flights to New Zealand, favourable exchange rates, the campaign, other campaigns that people like Tourism New Zealand have been doing. So it's, it's part of a much broader canvas. Work by the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research also points to the importance of the exchange rate in the number of tourists. And once here are those who visit Matamata say opting to go there instead of a different New Zealand location. Liz McPherson. There may be a little bit of displacement, but I think the issue for us is that what we're trying to achieve in, in the tourism area is to encourage people to stay here that extra day, that extra week. And each time they do that, that's the additional spend. And so something like films and film-related tourism give people that additional reason to extend their stay, which of course then has these additional benefits.
With the global financial situation affecting tourism, the work to identify the tipping point is becoming a priority. Certainly showcasing New Zealand scenery in films seen around the world helps change perceptions from where is New Zealand to what can New Zealand offer me. The Hobbit deal includes the government contributing the equivalent of 10 million US dollars to Warner Brothers marketing costs. As part of this, Sir Peter Jackson will work on a three to six minute promotional piece about New Zealand that will accompany digital versions of the film. Advertising expert Nigel Keats says that's worth many millions of dollars. I think given the size of the audience for the movies, if, if it goes as well as the Lord of the Rings movies did, uh, these two movies do as well as those three, then the, the audience will certainly be in the tens of millions of dollars and the, the amount of money that the New Zealand government is putting in is, is quite reasonable to reach that amount of people with this type of content. He says in terms of the marketing of New Zealand, Lord of the Rings created a breakthrough. The first three Lord of the Rings movies went out to a, a cinema audience alone of 46 million people. Uh, which is huge, and that excludes DVD rentals, digital downloads, and, and so on. So in terms of the scenery in there, the amount of the exposure that New Zealand got, helped by the, the Academy Awards exposure, was huge, and that was a, a real breakthrough in the profile of New Zealand. The branding of countries has become an accepted part of global business. <laughs> Ten years ago, Tourism New Zealand launched its 100% pure adverts. Legend says this land was hauled from the ocean like a giant fish. Jenny Lorne is a senior lecturer at Massey University in Auckland who has looked at how film and literature fits into national cultural identity. There's a sense that countries must compete for international profile and they must manage their reputation even though one of the great gurus of this way of thinking, Simon Anholt, has said in his most recent book, uh, countries actually can't manage their reputations and you can't establish whether they're effective in doing it. Because what people think about a country, the factors involved in that are very wide-ranging. And what a particular government or trade and enterprise body does or a creative industry does is a very small part of that. Nonetheless, the self-justifying rationale of competition tends to kick in and Anholt seems to then say what countries must continue to try to do this, even though we cannot prove that something like the Lord of the Rings really, uh, in the long term, makes New Zealand, for example, a better tourism destination. She says the former Prime Minister, Helen Clark, was quick to recognise the benefits of annexing the film industry to add smart and innovative to the country's clean and green image. Helen Clark, I think, was influenced by Creative Australia, and by Cool Britannia, the Tony Blair equivalent, and I think she wanted to bring in this understanding that, that the arts and the economy were not remote from each other and could speak to each other in very productive ways. The impact of The Lord of the Rings would not have been so extensive if it had not been a success. Jenny Lorne says taxpayers risk losing out if a film fails. If Lord of the Rings had flopped, then... That's the socialisation of risk. New Zealand would not have had any particular gain from that and would have had a kind of uh, loss of tax revenue. The sector's volatility means the risks are real. Film industry expert Keith Randall from the University of Hertfordshire in England, who was a guest lecturer recently at Victoria University, warns against complacency. Quite often, the industry that comes disappears again. 
crews arrive, they do their the work, and then they disappear back, and very little remains. Uh, so it's not always sustainable, and both UK and Canada have had inward investment withdrawn overnight, leaving the production service industry that's developed struggling to find something to do. So what I'm talking about here really is the footloose nature of this industry, the way it can move around the world. So basically don't get too excited when Hollywood moves to your country because it may not be around very long. For now, the Hobbit deal has given another boost to the film industry here and will pump money, in the short term at least, into the economy. That Radio New Zealand Insight programme was written and presented by Sue Ingram. More Insight programmes are available to be downloaded at radionz.co.nz forward slash insight.